What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. You're dead meat! Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little bastard, it's business. Dead Meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast. In fact, the 100th episode of the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel, Dead Meat. Oh, I'm James. <laughs> 100 episodes and I'm still forgetting. <laughs> and I'm Chelsea. We're engaged. And we like to get scared together. Yeah, I think adding that little bit in there about it being the 100th like, just screwed your brain up. Yeah, it was a zero-hour edition that I just did right there on the fly. We are... <laughs> it's the 100th episode. And I mean, there have been more than 100 because we've done bonus We've done ones, bonus, but, but... Then, like officially number 100. Yep. So we're doing 1998's Psycho Remake. At Gus Van Sant. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, if you've been with us since the beginning, you know that this is one of our favorites. Uh, this comes <laughs> yeah. up on the podcast all the time. It's been kind How of a it runner. Even start, man? It started in the Would You Rather episode. I did a Would You Rather about, would you rather have a Critters themed wedding or a 1998 1998 psycho themed wedding but the catch is like you have to tell people it's not the original right because aesthetically a psycho 1998 wedding is easier to pull off than a critter's wedding it looks (laughs) way more normal but like you have to explain no no no, it's not psycho it's the remake of yeah of psycho so anyway i forget what we picked i forget too i think we you might have picked critters i don't remember huh yeah but so we're we're (laughs) I think I've watched Psycho in both iterations three times this week. Like I just, I feel like it's my whole life. This well, week yeah, has we been rewatched Psycho. both. Well, we rewatched the original, and then uh, I don't think I had ever seen the remake, and I know you had, dude. So, I hadn't either, and so even though it's like it. our favorite, I'd never fucking seen it. <laughs> You're gonna keep it. Just saying became that, huh? such a runner, and <laughs> I I loved it before even seeing it. That's how strong my 1998 Psycho by Gus Van Sant is. Uh, Pretty much taking the original Psycho, taking the original script, taking most of the shots from the original movie, and deciding, hey, this movie's good. What if it had more butts in it? Yeah, lots more butts. That's pretty much the only additions is butts and masturbation. Yeah, Yeah. It is fascinating. I think spending time with it this week, because it's easy to laugh at it and like watching it is a chore which like i will continue to laugh at and say that watching it is a chore this movie why does it exist right but (laughs) it it gets into like and this is what i want to spend a lot of the episode talking about it is this is such um (laughs) film school like you know the role of the author or like reproduction of of art you know, it was art in the age of mechanical reproduction or whatever. It's like sure. that essay that everyone in film school has to read. <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's it. It really is like I've I've truly never seen a remake like it. Like maybe the except the Disney remakes. Oh and yeah, and those are terrible. Also, those are that's interesting mm-hmm. that Disney is taking a page out of Gus Van Sant's book from 1998 and pretty much because Lion King. It's I mean, why, I, I haven't. haven't seen we it. didn't even see Lion King. I. But it sounds like it's the same kind it's of. It's the thing. same shit where it's like, oh, cool. We're just gonna. What if this, but updated? Yeah, because like, that's what Psycho this is. is. What if, what if Psycho, but not black and white anymore, and with modern actors and, and Lion more butts. King and more butts, and Lion King is just what if the Lion King but 3D instead of 2D? Does Lion King have more butts too? Um, I can't confirm. I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah. Curious. Not sure if there's more literal buttholes in that. Let movie. us know. Yeah, there's a butthole. There's definitely a butthole in this. Um, We'll, we'll talk about that, too. Uh, <laughs> right, just, right on time, Lucy. Just uh, right, Lucy's like, buttholes. Like, Somebody said Somebody buttholes. Somebody said buttholes. I'm going <laughs> to stick my butthole right in the camera. That's what Lucy's here for. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Gus Van Sant uh, is, is a good filmmaker is the thing. Like, Gus Van Sant is a filmmaker, capital F, like he, My Own Private Idaho, Drugstore Cowboy, he, Love drugstore cowboy. Yeah, he, uh, the year before this was Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill right? Hunting, which is also great. That Goodwill Hunting is why he was able to make Psycho. So, like, he made this reputation for himself being like being an artist. He is his films are all beautiful. He has it's like indie too, right? Indie, yeah, yeah. He has like he has such a distinct 
vision and voice. Um, he also did Milk. Uh, so a lot of his movies deal with LGBTQ issues. Yeah. Um, I know my private Idaho, my own private Idaho does. I haven't seen Drugstore Cowboy. Was he considered alongside in the early 90s that wave of like indie filmmakers like Soderbergh who yes. got really acclaimed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like Drugstore Cowboy was 89, mm-hmm. I think. So it's in that. I think yeah. he's in that kind of class of 90s filmmakers for sure. Yeah, which I really dig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then apparently this had always been kind of a weird pipe dream of his. He, even back in the 70s, he he recreated this the shower scene for some, I think it was like some theater group he was in. Wait, how old is he? Um, That's a good question. How I wouldn't have imagined now? that because I would have imagined he'd be like a late 20s filmmaker when he made no, this. No, I think oh, he... he's older than that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, lo- I'm going to look up how old he is. He's 67 now. Okay, and this was 22 years ago, so he was 45 then? Yeah. Okay. That seems right. Uh, But yeah, so he like, they showed clips of this in the, I watched the little documentary about this movie that came with the the DVD. No commentary track, though. Yeah, that's the thing is with different releases, you always get different special features. And I guess our, we have the box set for Psycho, which has a whole bunch of cool stuff. Well, it should have a commentary track. But it doesn't have a commentary track. I don't know. It might, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Even uh, though one exists for this movie. Yeah, there is one. Mm-hmm. And I I was dying to watch it, but nope. You were dying to watch this movie a third time. <laughs> I was gonna I really was. Uh but no, I watched this little documentary instead and they, they showed clips of this, you know, he's always had like a fixation with Psycho and has always really liked it and I guess when he was coming up as a filmmaker, he'd have, he'd have meetings with studios and Universal especially would be like, look, we have all this this crap in storage where it's either like movies we'd be okay with remaking or scripts that no one's picked up yet. So, you know, just let us know what you're interested in. And he was like, oh, I want to redo Psycho. And they all just laughed him out the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then he gets nominated for Oscars. <laughs> he, he, he does Goodwill Hunting and oh no, now he is an award-winning filmmaker. <laughs> He's got some more leeway, and finally he goes, I want to remake Psycho. And he even said, like, I'm I'm doing, because, you know, remakes are not unfamiliar to Hollywood at that point, but, like, a straight-up, like, shot-for-shot remake is unheard of. I don't yeah. think that's a thing. Even Hitchcock had made his own, remade his own films. Yeah, I uh, forget which one. Yeah, he... I'm blanking on which one it was, but mm-hmm. he had, re- it, was, it wasn't, like, shot for shot but yeah the idea of like doing something shot for shot was so insane but he insisted on it and yeah with this this power that he is granted by being an award-winning filmmaker which is, i think it's kind of a big part of the reason why i love that this exists like someone on twitter and i would i wish i'd written you down I'm so, i always do this like i remember someone on twitter said something really smart or funny and i forget to write your name down but uh they pointed out that this is like um Tom Hooper winning Oscars and stuff for Les Mis and then being like, I have so much power. I'm going to make cats, you know? <laughs> and so I love this idea of someone's post award movie being their shit post movie. They're <laughs> like, you know what? I can, I can truly do whatever I want. This is the only window of time. Probably I'm going to get where it, I'm going to get the money and support. I need to make something truly stupid. It's so stupid. There's yeah. no reason for this movie to exist. Because I have, you know, people know by now that I have a weird uh, thing with remakes. I have a higher bar for remakes yeah. for me to be satisfied by them. And it's, you know, for me, I think, honestly, I think Suspiria has one of the best remakes. Even though... Personally, I didn't love the remake itself as a remake. It's fascinating. It's, it's great it's, because it takes like the kernel of the idea and does something completely different with it. Yeah. And like that, I think is amazing. And yeah. I think the Friday the 13th remake is good because in a totally different way, it's taking a lot of the same things, but just kind of distilling it to a more updated, uh, just more pure form. But like this is like quarantine remaking Wreck, where it's like a shot for shot where it's thing. the same. But even then, that was for a kind of financial reason. Yeah. Oh, this movie's in Spanish. I bet American audiences would like to see it in English. This everyone has seen Psycho. Yeah, everyone knows Psycho. This movie lost money. Yeah, like a lot of money. It's funny because <laughs> in the documentary, I think it was. Some of the because a lot of the people who worked on the original Psycho did work on this. Yeah, he had a lot of people come back, 
which is fascinating. Hitchcock's and daughter. You Hitchcock's mentioned? daughter. Yeah. yeah. The way I feel about it is, I'm very flattered, you know, and I know my father would be flattered that people want to remake his movies. Right. You know, I think it's wonderful. They kind of mention, well, it's the '90s. Maybe people don't really know. But dude, it's so funny. They cut to uh, I don't know what the fuck this is from. It's some man on the street shit at Universal City Walk. I was dying. <laughs> yeah. I'll put oh, in like the clips where they're they're City interviewing Walk? '90s teens at City Walk, and they're like, "Who?" Hitchcock, I don't know who that is, bro. Cycle? No, I never seen it. Never heard of it. Hitchcock, is that what you said? I never heard of the man. So they're like, okay, maybe, you know, let's let's try updating it. And, uh, but also I think, I don't know if, if Gus Van Santa said so openly, but I think part of it is just the idea of experimenting with, like, why why a film works as well as it does like why is psycho such a classic and it really this remake especially proves like a film is such a time capsule you You can't just lifelessly copy one right and have another classic right you like you can't it's it's amazing how much relies on the original author's voice the specific actors you have in it like just all the right pieces coming together and i think Something I found so fascinating about the idea of remaking something shot for shot and something I hadn't considered until they interviewed her on set was the editor for the 98 Psycho thinking like her thought process is so bizarre because she's like, well, okay, we're doing a shot for shot remake. So theoretically, I should be editing it second for second, cut by cut. But you are not working with the exact same, even though it's a copy it's still it's different actors their cadence is going to be different the timing of everything is going to be different like slight differences in um camera movements like it's going to be a different thing even though it is identical it is by its nature completely different so the editor is like how do i treat this do i treat it like it is still the original yeah do you line or them up in the I, timeline exactly, and just put the cuts or but- do i work with it like i am working with something that i've never seen before and do i edit it like i would edit something it's so that i think made the whole thing extra interesting to me i mean i can't even like begin to describe like my first day like not really knowing what i should do whether i should copy you know, the way everything was edited originally. Yeah, it's a different way to edit a movie. I mean, we know that things are going to be a certain way, and I still have to go through all these bins and find the best pieces. And I think I think Gus Van Sant, because I respect him a lot, and he is, again, like I said, and it's why I pointed out his background, is like he is a filmmaker. Like, he's he loves film. He understands film and cinema and knows what he's doing. He's not like a, um, you know, a... a blockbuster I mean even a lot of blockbuster filmmakers are very good but he's not just there to to like uh kind of mechanically make something and it's out and it makes money like he has a voice and vision and he's he's more he leans more toward the artistic end of film rather than like the commercial end of things so I I think it truly was a an experiment and a it makes me think of uh like there's so many reproductions of famous paintings and they make this point in the documentary too, uh, where like the Mona Lisa, for example, there are so many replicas of it and contemporary ones too. These are like replicas that were done in the time that Da Vinci was alive. He would have like his apprentices would copy his painting and Da Vinci himself would copy his uh, master's paintings and learn. So there's like this tradition of, sitting and copying a piece of work to understand how it was put together and to learn from that and to learn from your your elders and you know understand how something was that makes together. sense to me but to make it an actual studio that's film, what i mean you is know it's, it's it is so fun. it is it is bizarre when you throw in the idea of like but this also is a product meant to make money yeah and this released is not in theaters just <laughs> a fun thing that gus van sant like did in his backyard like this is a, a studio well that's the thing, thing is that during some of these scenes especially your favorite scene from the original which is uh norman bates talking to marion crane yeah uh when he brings the those disgusting looking sandwiches for her to eat both versions they look gross but we both said at the same time that this feels feels like a film school exercise or you said forensics it feels like like new actors taking a well-known scene and trying to do it in their own way but you know they're kind of hampered by the fact that they know the original performances so they're kind of mimicking those but not exactly right like 
that's why this film doesn't work for me is because and I think you said it while we were watching it that nobody really feels sincere Mm -hmm. because we've already seen all these lines said by the original actors and I think Anne Hesch does great um Mm -hmm. especially a lot of her facial acting less so with the the line delivery because again it just feels like you're mimicking someone but a lot of her face acting is really good I like Vince Vaughn in general yeah, but he's just not as uh, I don't know engaging it's, or as electrifying as Anthony Perkins is. I mean, in that how original. can you? Be, how can though? you? Be? Why would you thing. take this role? He, yeah, his he is one so young in this behind the scenes thing. He's so cute. Like he, <laughs> he really, you can tell he is extremely nervous about this entire thing and oh, doesn't quite understand how to feel about it. And but it's so cute. He. Seems like he's really engaged with it, and there's, like, all this footage of him picking out, like, what hair he should have, and he seems, like, super engaged with the material and, like, excited to be there, and it's very endearing, but... I think that he does his best work in this movie when he is, like, nervous Norman Bates, and I think that when he, like, does the switch to more threatening or more, like... Uh, trying to be intimidating, I think that's when it kind of falls apart for me. Mm, But I do mm -hmm. think he does the kind of like shy... Uh, maybe a little bit too choppy no, with the gum chewing. A little, I think he's kind of adorable in this movie. Yeah. Which like Norman's supposed to be, I think. And yeah, and they were so- both the same age when they were in yeah. their respective films. They were both 28 years old when yeah. uh, Anthony Perkins and Vince Vaughn did this. Yeah. Uh, it's weird. I was wondering watching this if they were allowed to look or at or watch the original. Like if I was directing this, I don't think I would want my actors to watch the original but they had to have but they did no they did confirmed he okay. he said you you can reference it if you want like do what you want with it if you want it so i think that makes it a little harder maybe on your actors too because if you so let's say you're playing norman bates and it's like all right i don't want to just imitate anthony perkins um but i've already seen that performance so now i'm actively choosing to act in a way that is not like Anthony Perkins. So how, you know, you're like setting up this barrier where it's like, okay, if I'm reading the script and I'm interpreting this character, what happens if my interpretation of this character is genuinely very close to Anthony Perkins? And it's like, well, now I can't do that. So now I feel like you're forcing yourself into this performance that isn't natural to you. I can kind of relate, and it's why uh, when I'm covering a movie on The Kill Count, I won't watch any other YouTube videos about it or listen to, like, We Hate Movies if they covered it because I'm worried if I come up with the same joke independently, if I listen to their stuff or watch a video first, it'll be the same thing, me actively being like, well, I could have come up with that on my own, but now I have to do something different. Yeah. How are they supposed to do it? Are they supposed to mimic the original people? And I said, no, I think you should deliver a performance of your own using the script and... You know, you can refer to the original, but it has to be like a person, you know, rather than a sort of impersonation. Watching this is a total snooze. Like, it's <laughs> it's so, it's exhausting because, especially if you've just watched the original, which we had. And yeah. It, it hit me, I think, the first shot of the movie. I just went, oh my God, this is the fucking same. <laughs> like, I think that's when it really, it just hit me, like, just a wall. I was like, oh no, we're just watching the same fucking thing over again. I can't believe like, I, I know knew in the it same in my head, but just like the same dialogue, even though it doesn't work in 1998. Like in that first scene, she's talking about her boss having excess acid. Oh, I better get back to the office. These extended lunch hours give my boss excess acid. <laughs> no one would say that in 1998. It's so funny because they brought the screenwriter back, um, Joseph Stefano or Stefano. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, but they he did the screenplay for Psycho and they brought him back to do the screenplay for this. So it is different in parts. Uh, and he talks in the documentary about how he had to update some stuff because certain things even though it's so funny because it still sounds so old-fashioned and i wonder if that's even just a product of like him being an older, him being guy, an older dude yeah for sure because if he wrote the one in 1960 like how old would he be here you yeah. don't write that script when you're 20 so yeah let's say he's 25 at the youngest there this is you know 
Well, I guess that's not that old, but still. He's probably in his 60s when he's writing this new one. And they go, well, what about all the language? And I said, like some really hokey language, old-fashioned language. And I said, well, okay, you change those. Some of this sounds a little uh, old-fashioned. He did add another zero to the amount of money Marion Crane steals, though. That's right. Instead of $40,000, it's $400,000. And that also, he one of the big changes is the end monologue with Robert Forster, who I did not know was in this and yep. was a very pleasant surprise. I mean, this cast. The but cast is, is incredible. Go, what's different about Robert Forster's speech? In Robert Forster's speech, there's no mention of Norman Bates being a transvestite. All of that is gone. Oh, yeah. okay. That That's... Is that have to do with uh, Gus Van Sant uh, being a gay man? I, maybe more sensitive to... Yeah, I'm sure that's a big part of it is he is more sensitive to those kinds of issues. And also it seemed like the, the screenwriter in, maybe even independently came to that conclusion that this language is outdated and we wouldn't be talking like this anymore. It was really interesting watching the screenwriter with Gus Van Sant talking about not just that scene edit but also just generally whether or not they were having Vince Vaughn play Norman Bates as gay um, even though no Anthony Perkins in the original is not playing him as gay it's an interpretation many people have of the film Anthony Perkins's homosexuality is something that you know it, it like bleeds into his work because it was such a big part of his life and it's something that like now you know that's like one of the things we associate with him uh, because I think even when that movie came out, it was like rumored and stuff. And yeah, because was... I'm assuming he was closeted back yes. then. Yes, and I think that 60s, was uh, yeah. that was another yeah another thing that made Psycho a little controversial because he was just by himself, he, him existing was controversial. Of right? course, yeah, yeah. So, but it it was fascinating. The screenwriter says, you know, no, I didn't put those undertones there, but I understand why people think they were there and you know I rewatch it and I I can totally see why people interpret it that way maybe subconsciously that's there certainly never entered my mind that I was writing about a man who was gay I think the, these kinds of things began to be said really much much later when uh, homosexuality was much more accepted people go back over old movies and and look to see what might have been a subtle implication because we couldn't do more and lots of people find that and I think it may very well be there. He seemed very open to the idea of it being read that way and it mm -hmm. was really it was cool seeing someone from that era not being defensive of of their work like that and and being very open to other people's interpretations of it but um, in, in this version, Gus Van Sant, when they ask, they're like, is Vince Vaughn playing him gay? If, if Gus Van Sant says no. Like, immediately he says no. Yeah. We're not. And Vince Vaughn is like, like one of the most heterosexual men i feel yeah. like as far as i know i mean i i think i think most of us know him from fucking like old school old school yeah, yeah all those movies <laughs> i just he's such a bro like wedding crashers and stuff mm -hmm. so i don't know i just i thought that was really fascinating though and there's something really interesting about the dynamic of you have hitchcock who is a, a straight dude directing anthony perkins as norman versus gus van sant directing Vince Vaughn is, you know, that dynamic oh, yeah, is flipped, reversed, which yeah. is really interesting. I'm also curious to revisit the sequels to the original, especially since Anthony Perkins had more creative control in those yes. uh, over the character. And I believe he ended up directing one of those. So I'm curious if that interpretation of the character uh, comes out more to the forefront. Yeah, in the I haven't seen the sequels. I did, but when I was a kid, so I don't remember them. So yeah. very curious but, about those. So like, again, like the by remaking it so directly just by the changes in authors and actors you then are adding different undertones than would exist in an original which yeah. is interesting like there's totally interesting things about this but you have to get very film school about it I yeah think, this yeah this movie thing. is interesting in theory it is it's, <laughs> yeah it, it truly is interesting in theory Again, watching it is so fucking exhausting. One of the most exhausting scenes, and again, something that is so interesting in theory, is after uh, Marion Crane is murdered in the shower, got this long-ass scene of Norman Bates cleaning up the motel. And I even asked you while the movie was going, I'm like, does this happen? Like, I know he cleans up in the original, but is it this fucking long? It is. And it is. Yeah, in the original, it goes but on for a long time. it's crazy how in the original, it doesn't feel that long. I mean, it still <laughs> feels long, but it doesn't feel 
this long. And I, it's fascinating that I think the reason for that is, and again, this is what's so cool about having this, the same screenwriter do both movies, is he said, the original movie, that scene is there because we're like we take Psycho for granted now. Everyone knows the shower scene. We know it's going to happen. We know that the main character is going to die. Like We know all these things going into it because it's such a cultural touchstone. But back then, it was such a big twist to the point where Hitchcock was not letting people come into the theater late. Yeah, that's and right. And we talked about that in our gimmicks episode. Mm-hmm. Part of the advertising for Psycho was like, no one is admitted late to this film. One, because it you know you get the twist ruined and two if you show up and the lead actress on all the posters isn't there you're like well what the fuck am i watching <laughs> it's confusing so like truly no one knew that that twist was coming and so you need this scene of norman bates cleaning for like five minutes so that the audience has time to truly understand that that character is dead yeah. you have time to it's like when you're when you're scripting a comedy or if you're doing stage comedy and something gets a laugh, you give it some time to mm-hmm. breathe or else everything after that's going to get stepped on and the audience is going to miss stuff. It, this is like the same thing. It's like a laugh break, but not. it's like a, a break for the audience to yeah, kind it's of absorb. Them reconcile that fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what this turns into in this remake is, so it's the 90s. We all know Psycho. It's a cultural touchstone, like I said. And we all are waiting for the shower scene and it happens we don't necessarily need that moment. That decompression. That, yeah, we don't need that time to like <laughs> accept that that character is dead. And so you're just sitting there like, oh my God, why am I watching Vince Vaughn just change all these towels? I don't fucking care. <laughs> it's so long. That shower scene. Oh boy. We going to uh, talk about that? We should. Because, I mean, one, I think that the shots of Norma Bates... They look she, weird. They look weird, and they're way too long. And you know what? Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's the same length of the, uh, of the shots it's in the not, original. Apparently, a lot. Of, I think a lot of the edits in the shower scene. There's a bit more lingering because there he's allowed to because the standards for film violence are not the same. But it ruins it. It does. Like, yeah, it's the, not the as longer good. shots of uh, Norma, quote unquote, with the blonde wig. Uh, the face is silhouetted out, so you still can't see it's it's Vince. But like those shots go on for so long that I'm like, this looks silly. Whereas yeah. in the original, it's so much fast cutting back and forth. And yeah, maybe it was done for uh, to get around standards or whatever, but it also made for a more effective scene editing wise. Yeah. And in this one, the shots go on for longer and you see that, you know, there's not you see that there's not like that contact being made. Yeah. But then <laughs> the big difference in the shower scene, which <laughs> I wish you had found the commentary because I would love to hear what they I said. No, I'm dying. Anne Hesh dies. And falls over over the tub, and it's an overhead shot, and she's bare ass naked, and it is a you see her butthole. You see her butthole. You I don't know Anne how Hesh's else to butthole. say it. You see Anne Hesh's butthole, and we both react like we <laughs> like I don't think we believed what we'd just seen, but it, like there's a straight up butthole shot either. No, it's just there. You're just looking at it, and, and I like, guess they prep you for it because you see Vigo's butt in the first. But scene. you're not seeing whole. You're like, not seeing Vigo's butt whole. No, you see his whole butt. I but not cannot. His butt hole. Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of any movie where there is straight up asshole in it's it. so weird. It's so weird, and it has a Twitter. I account. thought like it does have a Twitter account. Uh, Kevin Smith has talked Kevin about Smith it. Kevin Smith has talked about it in some capacity. I forget if it was like during one of his pan- like Q and A panels or something. But he, so like we're not making. So this we up. we yeah we're not alone. Like other people have noticed. And yeah, finding that fucking that fucking Kevin Smith quote where he talks about it in like the most Kevin Smith way too. I was like, I felt very validated, but also like, why? Why did Anne agree to that? I know it's not necessary. And I'm just, did they think like? Could they not tell when they were filming and then they're editing and they're like, oh, no, you can kind of see your asshole like too late. Like, I just I have so many questions. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't even put the fucking clip in. No, I guess I can. You please don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess like find the. I'm sure you can find the shower scene on YouTube because otherwise it's totally fine. It's just the shower scene from Psycho. And then there's like you're just seeing hole at the end. It's so weird, man. Yeah. So that was, it's funny because the behind the scenes, they're talking, they started talking about the shower scene and I'm like, okay, I'm hope, I want to get some answers here. And they just wouldn't stop talking about the fucking shower curtain. And I'm like, I don't care. I just want to know about the butthole. And they didn't address it at all. 
There's a lot more sex in general here because, yeah. like I said, you see Vigo's bum right in the beginning. He's yeah, standing naked by a window. Right Although that honestly makes for such a good joke. It's very because funny. Because in the original film, while she's leaving, he's like, here, I'll come with you. And she's like, no, you have to put your shoes on and then leaves. And it's just like, uh, you know, she's just trying to get out that of there. That guy truly, ju- he's fully dressed but needs to put his shoes on. Yeah, but in this one, Vigo's standing there butt-ass naked. And, and you also see like a deep V from oh, yeah. the front. But she's leaving and he's like, let me c- come with you. And she's like, no, you have to put your shoes on. And he's butt-ass naked. It's so funny. It's, it's very it's funny. funny. Yeah. It's great that they take that same line and it's more funny. There's yeah, I like when they diverge a little bit like that, where it, technically everything is still kind of the same. It's the same shots, the same lines, but you're able to, because it's the 90s, update it to where you can get away with those little visual jokes. Yeah. And I think it it's weird. That joke to me even feels very Hitchcock. Yeah, it it's does. Very, it's just sure. very sly and... Yeah, I love it. So aside from the butts, uh, we do have an a, a shot of Vince Vaughn masturbating when yeah, he looks the through the inf- peephole. Infamous. That's like I think if anyone can think, you know, if people know this movie and they can think of one change, it that is something that's different from the original. It's the scene of Vince Vaughn masturbating. It's when he looks through the hole at uh, Marion undressing for the shower, and the sa- you don't see the masturbation, but the sound. Yeah, you get some. Sounds. You hear it. For sure. It's so gross. It's real gross. And then there's also uh, when she's looking around the when Julianne Moore, who plays the sister, mm-hmm. is looking around the house at the end. She goes into Norman Bates's room and she finds like a porno mag. Yeah. So we see some more breasts Norman there. Norman is like a sexual person. Very sexual person one. here. And it's it's fascinating because, again, you have to remember it's the same screenwriter. So essentially a lot of this is maybe confirming. Is this like what he wanted to do but couldn't in 1960? Yeah, or, you know? or just, yeah, like addressing or, yeah, confirming theories about Norman. Because Norman does have a little peephole where he spies on Mary and that's why he gives her the room next to the office. Mm-hmm. And so he can look through the wall at her and we don't, obviously there's no masturbating, but like that's implied. Yeah. He's, he's aroused by her. And they, they do say that in the original that he is yes. aroused by her. And that's why he kills her. But um, yeah. I, I So that's interesting, at least for making the subtext text. Yeah. And then there is one additional shot. It's when William H. Macy, who is playing Arbogast, the detective, yeah. uh, gets slashed in the face at the top of the stairs. There's this weird cut to a woman in yeah, her underwear like, like laying on a in bondage. Yeah. yeah and then there's a like another a deer it's or like an a calf i think okay yeah like standing in the road I like don't understand what the fuck yeah what the fuck they they talked a little bit about that part in the documentary and how the cinematography during that fall is so weird. Like when he's going down the stairs, it's one of my favorite shots because it looks so fucking fake, but I don't think, I think it's a bit on purpose. It's super dreamy and weird. Mm -hmm. They were like, all right, let's just kind of keep running with that. If it's super dreamy and weird and maybe he's seeing flashes of of something before he, but dude, I don't, I don't, I I don't really get it, but I understand the logic of putting in some weird dream imagery, but in, in practice, it's just a super random. It's fucking weird, man. <laughs> and that's, you know, those are the the horny additions that Gus Van Sant made to Psycho. Yeah. All those butts and, and but porn. Like, and again, I j- just think of, like, where he was at in his career. Like, I can only hope to, like, be nominated for Oscars and be extremely respected as a filmmaker. And then my project I do after I've earned all this clout and I'm at, like, the peak of my career is I'm going to remake a classic exactly but just add in some shots of characters masturbating like that's so fucking <laughs> like Citizen funny Kane. <laughs> yes except he's masturbating it one part it's like that's so funny and i love it i think that idea of just it just feels like a big troll and yeah it i does. think it's really really great also flea is in this movie yes yes like i want to make the movie where it's it's citizen kane it's identical someone's just jerking off in one scene and also flea is there playing a minor character <laughs> the minorest character <laughs> the most re- the character who's like hello ma'am how can i help you <laughs> is flea for some reason 
Other, uh, while we're on the subject of the cast, uh, already mentioned Julianne Moore, who the year prior to this was alongside Vince Vaughn in another little movie called The Lost World Jurassic yeah. Park. I think she most successfully plays her character differently than the original. Oh, for sure. Her character is this 90s grungy, like, take no shit yeah. character. They, who... they did uh, an edit back to back in the documentary of how she delivers one of the lines. And it's so interesting how different her delivery is and how differently she interprets this character character and updates her like her version's way more pissed i want to talk to marion and i want her to tell me it's none of my business and then i'll go i want to talk to marion and i want her to tell me it's none of my business and then i'll go yeah Yeah, that's exactly it's the contrast is she's like confused and angry and yelling a lot and and she has a walkman yeah, that's right. The, another another addition. And again, this is my addition to Citizen Kane as Orson Welles goes, hey, wait up. I got to get my Walkman. <laughs> There's no need for that line. But they put it in there just to remind you it's 1998. Yeah. Let's go see Al Chambers. Who's he? He's deputy sheriff around here. Let me get my Walkman. I'm just, again, I'm. it's going to happen, guys. I'm making my Citizen Kane where he oh has a God. Walkman around his neck in one scene just to like, remember it's different. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Viggo Mortensen. Julianne Moore, Vince Vaughn, obviously, uh, William H. Macy as Arbogast, Philip Baker Hall, yes. who, whose head is hanging in our bathroom. We have randomly. a giant, I wish I grabbed it. We have a oh, giant yeah. poster of his head for some reason. Where I got it from when I worked from? at Fox. I don't know what he did it's, at Fox. It but... scares, like it scared me so much when you first put that up and now it freaks people out when they go in there and it's they, just, you close the bathroom door Hall's and head. it's, I mean, it's like a foot and a half tall. Yeah. It's just his, his head, head on white, on a white background. Yeah. Uh, but he is, he's like the sheriff at near the end mm-hmm. uh robert forster like you says the yeah. detective flee uh and there's also i feel like there was one other person i wanted Rita to wilson is the office mate that like her co-worker in the oh, who's uh, like i have tranquilizers in my bag and also it isn't ron howard's dad her boss that's right ron howard's dad is the boss yeah yep. uh but vince vaughn does look like the rock through half this movie oh man he's wearing can we this... talk about the costumes oh yeah please that's a great thing to talk about because this movie <laughs> go ahead so okay and again i'm i'm gonna say that like this big asterisk i this is on the imdb trivia oh, no. and was not <laughs> mentioned in the behind the scenes thing so i don't know if it comes from the commentary or not but apparently the costumer was not fully aware that this was going to be updated to be set in the late 90s and so she went and bought a ton of 60s looking costumes and so Anne Hesh looks like she's on Mad Men this whole time yeah William H. Macy looks like he's going to a murder mystery party um there is a quick yeah, little montage <laughs> in the documentary of him trying on different hats where they're picking out different hats for his character and it's very nice i like it william h macy's so cute that documentary <laughs> they have just the raw green screen footage of him falling and it's oh, like yeah. god such good acting <laughs> oh i know who i want to comment on uh the car dealer is uh james lagrosse oh who played uh fucking he's mike in phantasm too yeah he's random mike yes he's like weirdo bizarro mike who's just in phantasm the rest 2. of that series mike is played by the guy from the first one yeah is it a michael baldwin a is michael I... baldwin yeah, yeah. yeah. and he's very nice and real person oh the whole, he's the whole so sweet casting crew of phantasm we spent great. like the whole weekend with him at scaricon in new york oh, that's right, because yeah. we caught the airport shuttle back with him and david naughton and yeah. it was a lot of fun we just kind of like hung out with those dudes that's so cool. at this like very tiny convention yeah yeah but the car dealer in the remake is the guy who played that who's character not, who's in just Psych- this weird phantasm not mike in phantasm 2 it's so bizarre that's so weird man he is like a steadily working tv actor like he's still in stuff he's yeah, yeah so good for him yeah that's that's the life man they have footage of him literally watching the movie like the car dealer friend uh, trying to Charlie. remember his cadence and his it's it's nuts they're they're the behind the scenes footage is everyone just watching the movie <laughs> and then going and doing the exact same it's so crazy <laughs> i know why does it exist but yeah so the the weird like 60s costumes and yeah vince vaughn in for a bit of this movie is wearing this black turtleneck that is just poured onto him it's so tight <laughs> it's like this knit sweater that is so tight that when the light hits it certain ways it's see-through you know it, it, it's bit. like tucked into his jeans it's tucked into these 90s jeans with a belt he looks like the rock he, he, he looks... is one chain necklace away from yes, looking he, like the rock he, in that picture yeah one thing i don't like that they updated 
is the sign for the Bates Motel because <gasps> it just looks okay. like any fucking 90s motel in this new one, whereas the classic was a classic. And yeah, when we see it, it's just like, that's the Bates Motel, dude. Yeah, the original Bates Motel sign is so iconic. Although I do think it's a very funny tongue-in-cheek joke that the new Bates Motel sign has newly renovated that's funny. on it and color TV. Like, yeah. Oh, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, funny, yeah. These... We were so curious watching this, like where they filmed it, because the motel looks the same. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the mo- it is the same motel. Uh, they just put up a new sign and the house literally was constructed in front of the old Bates house. It's a, it's a new facade because it looks facade. very different and not as good in my no, opinion. No, it's a weird redesign, yeah. but it is literally right in front of where the, the Do we even is. see part of the old house? Oh. Or does it completely mask it out? I think it's completely okay, but it's out. it's so weird. So it's on the Universal lot mm-hmm. here in L.A. Yeah, which is so funny because they again when they're watching these clips of the original movie, like they have Vince Vaughn who I think is is terrified of the idea of like running down these steps super quick, and I think it's another reason like when you're when you're playing this character. Uh, maybe that's a, another reason they cast Vince Vaughn because he's tall. He's but, so tall. But like, okay, so you get cast to play Anthony Perkins, who's extremely tall he's and six, like three, lanky. He's like a string bean, and he's just yeah running down these steps from the house to the motel. And Vince is watching and is like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna break my neck." Yeah, because like, Vince is even taller. He's six five. I yeah, think. yeah, but it's just it's so crazy how he just like how fast he makes it down those steps, and Vince is trying to do it the exact same way. And I'm like, I'm gonna kill myself. Yeah, he's on like accident. hopping steps. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> but it's fascinating that just because they they almost like put themselves in a box working with this original set because if you're choreographing stuff on the original set and you have an actor that's a certain physicality and height and it's like oh shit I need to accommodate for that it's it's interesting like getting into the weeds like that with it is interesting again mm-hmm. interesting in theory oh I have a question yeah I have a question for you did you look up to see if the name in the guest book was the same in the original. Oh, as Michael it, Scott. Yeah, I did not. The, the person I who forgot. was at the Bates Motel prior to Marion Crane was Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. And I couldn't find, I didn't, wasn't sure if that name was in there in the original. But it's funny because like, yeah, the office wouldn't have come out yet. It's just a funny coincidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even like everything in the motel looks exactly the same. It's it's truly nuts. Like it it is so bizarre watching them choreograph themselves to like, lean through the doorway at the exact same time and all the art on the wall is the exact God, same. That would and feel so constricting as a performer. It would. I'm, it would be exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, they also redo the same effects as the original. I'm thinking with the driving scenes mm-hmm. because the driving scenes in this remake look old fashioned mm-hmm. and I think bad. They do the rear projection. Yeah. Um, Card or so, like, think of any 60s movie or 60s TV show or, or like, Toonses, the driving cat, <laughs> yeah. like that, like, rear projection driving is what they do in this. And it's so fun watching the behind the scenes where it's everyone, it's all the crew running with like lights. They are like have lights in their hands and they run past the car to make it look like there's cars moving past and they have giant, like, reflector boards that they're spinning around and stuff. It's cool to watch them do it, but yeah. it ends up, yeah, it looks super cheesy. It's, it's, so weird when you think about remaking something shot for shot like the little changes you have to decide whether or not you want to make because like you could stick a camera on front of a car and actually drive yeah. down a road in 1998 so you have that technology it, it, it must have been weird to have the discussions of like okay what what parts do we just totally diverge here? Because I think once you decide, okay, we're making this as close to the original as possible, but then you realize, well, we're in 1998, so it's got to be $400,000 instead. Yeah. Well, we're in 1998, and we have different technology, so we have to think of that too. And we also need to think about the clothes, and we need to think about, oh, it's weird, you know, the them having this illicit affair isn't so scandalous tonight. So, oh, it's, like, yeah. so it's like, how far do you take it, you know, where... Like, what do you keep? What do you change? Right. And they didn't change the affair thing. No. So it, it comes off as weird in this. Because, <laughs> yeah, because, like, they're not having an affair. Because like, both of them are affair. legally single. The thing in the in the original is, like, I mean, in this one, too, is he... So, Marion is seeing... Uh, her, her boyfriend is divorced. And he... The scandal is that he's still paying alimony. So, it's, like... 
that's that's it is it yep. just i guess not proper for him to be in a relationship with some it's like it hasn't been long enough i guess it yeah just is like, it's yeah. so weird i don't know but yeah, but so they left really, it like that in 98 really different the other thing too that i notice is this remake even if they're not doing it intentionally i think really anticipates stuff that's gonna happen in ways that the original doesn't like the part i noticed it the most is that initial scene where he shows Mary in her room and he goes, oh, and this is the bathroom. He flips the lights on. And the lighting of that bathroom is so different than everything else that's come before in this movie. Like he flips those lights on. It's this blown out fluorescent. So blown out. Bluish. Um, very 90s. I actually, I love it. I love. And it's interesting. The guy who did the cinematography for this movie, uh, I recognized his name and it was driving me nuts. But he is uh, Christopher Doyle. He did a lot of Wong Kar Wai movies like In the Mood for Love and Chunking Express. Oh, okay. so like all those colors and like that's so yeah. signature. I love it. Like very 90s, colorful, dreamy. But yeah, so he flips on the, the bathroom light and it just it feels like we're anticipating like it's the bathroom. Like it's mm-hmm. the infamous bathroom. It's colored differently. It's lit differently. We're all waiting for the scene in the bathroom. So, like, it's anticipating it. Or, like, the original is not because it's a twist in the original and no one saw it coming. Mm -hmm. But this version is like, oh, it's the infamous bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it telegraphs it more. I also noticed that a lot of the shots are closer on people. Like, just during conversations uh, in that first scene, especially when they're in the hotel room, Mm -hmm. uh, instead of being wider shots that show more of both actors, it's, like, really close-up shots Mm -hmm. on the characters. Yeah, I think that's just another way to update it to feel a bit more modern because if you look at older movies... Uh, it feels slow when the shots are further slow. away. Yeah, older movies you have wider shots, more people in them, less edits, way, way less, way edits, less edits. Yeah. And the you know, I think the Matrix especially is cited as a movie that like really changed editing that and like I know Born Identity, Born Identity, yes, Born Identity yeah. is a big one. But there were I think the '90s especially is a big time period for like just changes in editing and way shots are composed and stuff. Everything is faster, mm-hmm. closer. Yeah, so you're. I think that's totally right. There's even that weird close up of the fly on oh, the yeah. side, of, on like the bedside table. They, that's another thing. Is this movie? I'm pretty sure the original doesn't have recurring fly imagery. Mm-mm. It just has at that end when she's like, "I wouldn't have a fly. fly." But this movie is like, "Oh, that's a famous thing it's, from the it's end." It's anticipating it. So exactly, yeah. it's more telegraphing because mm-hmm. from that first scene, there's mm-hmm. that very close up shot of the fly on again a very disgusting looking oh, sandwich. Yeah. It's like thick white bread with tomato. Ch- it's gross. Yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, so like. Those little things where we're anticipating future scenes are the mark of someone making this who loves the original. And just little things like, um, or not little things because this would have been insane to shoot, but uh, the opening shot. So the opening in the original, it's like it's like Phoenix, Arizona, and it's the wide shot of the, the hotel. And then we kind of cut to the interior. Oh, in the original? Yeah. There's not that that sweeping. I do like the first shot of this movie. Yes, it's that like a is how they shot. Hitchcock like, wanted to do this. That makes sense. This was his plan for the opening. Is this like really long swooping shot where it zoom? It's like wide city shot and then it goes into the hotel window without breaking. It's or seemingly very without cool. Breaking. It's very good. And it looks like AI was done with composites and mats because they make, have some sense, behind yeah. the scenes stuff of like. It's just a window surround. It's like black matting and they they zoom in on the window. So I think it was just one big composite shot. But I guess Hitchcock wanted to do that and he didn't. And so then Gus Van Sant's like, well, we're going to do it in this version because that's how he wanted it done. The opening shot was, um, it was going to be this like flying shot through the city streets and then it was going to like go into a window. And at the time, I think that the technology was just very, very early. And today it's like something that's pretty common. We just sort of did what they they said they were planning to do. And uh, minor difference in the titles at the beginning. Uh, In the original, it just says the date and like it gets to the time, but in this one, it specifies the year. It yeah. says 1998, mm-hmm. just so you're not left wondering what kind of year is this. Yeah, and the titles are in color too. They're yeah, like green. It's funny because they're this Reanimator green, <laughs> which is weird because Reanimator has essentially the Psycho theme song for its theme. Yeah. Oh, and Julianne Moore gets to kick him. Uh, gets to kick that's, Norman Bates at the right. end. Yeah, she kicks Norman Bates. It's like oh, feminism. Yeah, <laughs> women power. Girl power. It's the 90s, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and they even got 
Uh, just speaking of ties to the original one, Hilton Green was the AD, like the assistant director on the original, and he came in to be a technical advisor on the... It is it is truly crazy how many people who were involved with the original came to work on this. Yeah, that is weird. It's so weird. I wonder if... Because when did Anthony Perkins die? He, did, uh, he wouldn't have been able to see this. I but. think early 90s, oh, maybe. Oh, okay. Because I was like, would he have lived long enough to be aware of this being made no, okay no. that would have been interesting if he was alive when mm-hmm. when this was made like how would he have felt about it my guess is he wouldn't have been a fan probably not i think he felt very territorial over that character to the point where yeah. i isn't it like he was a little difficult to work with not like in that he's a bad person but just he knows that character so well that taking direction on it i is think hard. that's what i've heard with some of the sequels yeah i'm not positive yeah but yeah. that i mean that happens if you like live in a character's head for so long like having a director come in who you haven't worked with before on this character it's yeah. like you know you, you're gonna feel like you know them better than this rando director mm-hmm. even though that's that's tough that's a tough spot for both of them to be in i think oh and then one la- the very last thing and i'm glad we just let the credits roll uh because they over the credits they have the entire bit of them pulling out the card the last shot of the 60s one is just it's shorter than i remembered what the, the shot last of the shot car? in the 1960 mm-hmm. one because they start pulling out the car and then it's like immediately it cuts, like the end yeah it's the i was end, like oh i thought cu- we saw it come out more to, nope the the remake though it's you get to see the whole car being pulled out and the crew being like all right pack it up boys we're going home (laughs) it's kind of a neat long take yeah Uh, i think it like pulls out a lot and goes into the air it's pretty cool yeah of the whole area but the very last thing and i'm again i'm so glad we did this we let it play out is there's a special thanks to john woo for letting them borrow his kitchen knife yep so there's also the knife in this is john woo's also the credits revealed that Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl was on the soundtrack. And we were like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck? Yeah. And it's playing very faintly in the scene when Marion trades in her car. And I went back and I, because I love that song. And I, I'm like listening for it. I'm like, it's very, it is there. Very Holy faintly shit. in the background. Yeah. And it's, you know, some blatant foreshadowing. She is a living she dead a girl living because dead we all know she's going to die soon. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. It's like, how much can you, it, it was weird. Like, Watching this and realizing we have to review this remake, but it's so similar to the original that how much of it can we review? Mm-hmm. You know, like how do you review a movie that is so closely tied to this other movie? This is it was so weird. Well, I think you did a good job with the research and uh, getting into why it was made and what makes it interesting in theory. Yes, in theory, and like it. I mean, this tanked when it came out. Audiences hated it. Critics hated it. Some critics enjoyed it. Um, Quentin Tarantino apparently likes this <laughs> version better than the original. And like, I love Quentin. Okay, Quentin. He's like one of my favorite filmmakers. I don't like. I just like what. Sometimes I, mean, I could just imagine. I mean, like, no, you see, man, it's like <laughs> this idea, right? Of like the author, and yeah, I can imagine him also getting into like the in theory part of why it's cool. But yeah. So there it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Congrats on 100 episodes, baby. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thank you all for sticking with us for 100 episodes. Yeah, over two years now. Yeah, it's so nuts. Mm-hmm. Crazy. But it was nice, like, not feeling the pressure of 100 episodes because I already knew what we were going to do. It was like, <laughs> yeah. we're doing the Psycho remake. Easy. Yep. I didn't have to plan any big thing. It just was going to be the Psycho re- It always was going to be the Psycho remake. <laughs> it was always. It was always Psycho 1998. <laughs> Yeah, look cool. Thank you all so much. I hope you're all staying safe. Yeah, and keep doing that. Yeah, God. Uh, go ahead and follow Dead Meat on social media at Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Carebeck, C-A-R-E-V-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want merch, store.com. We are getting golden chainsaws back in stock. I'm oh, hell right yeah. Now. Yeah. Nice. Uh, feel free to email deadmeatpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions mm-hmm. i'm trying to reply back to emails she is i'm like slowly getting through i mean these they got so backed up i'm replying to emails from like a year ago so that's fine though yeah i try there's a lot <laughs> <laughs> uh, until next time though i'm james i'm chelsea and this has been the dead meat podcast <laughs>